Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, well, we've uh, finished the book of Acts, reading through it, and what a great read, what <laughs> a great, great book. Uh, so kind of like we did with Mark a few episodes ago, well, I guess a season ago. Now. Yeah, no All kidding. this has been 2020, though. What a crazy time. Um, we are going to go back and look at some themes in the book and kind of take a, an overview, kind of select a few yeah. threads to follow kinda, through the book. Kind of the acts after show, kind of talk about the different things that we saw throughout the book. And uh, today's focus is actually going to be on the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God is and what it was in the book of Acts and what it is now. And this is obviously super important uh, because not only does the book of Acts talk about the kingdom of God, but this is also something Jesus said was going to happen. This goes back to season one, episode one. That was like forever ago. Uh, But in Mark 1 and verse 15, this is when Jesus was in Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or the good news. Mm-hmm. Um, so very relevant to our discussion now, as we see the Lord Jesus as the king. We'll make that point in just a second. What does it mean to be a citizen of this kingdom? How do we become citizens of this kingdom? What does it mean to function in a kingdom? And we'll talk about all those things today. Yeah, and the book of Acts really begins and ends with that. Um, after Jesus is raised from the dead, um, there's a period of these 40 days where he's talking with his disciples. And the way it sums that up in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And this is really what's going to happen in the book of Acts. is It's the proclamation of the kingdom, that there's something fundamental that has changed in the world. Because they would have been a lot more familiar with the idea of a kingdom, than we are. Yeah. You know, uh, a buddy of mine pointed this out to me once. In America, we really don't get the kingdom idea down as much because, as he said, America 101, no kings. Like, that was, <laughs> that's what America was built on. Like, we, we don't want kings bad. Yeah. We don't want King George anymore. Like, we're tired of this guy. Um, and so, whatever we set up, it, it's not going to be a king. And so, we get into democracy and George Washington as the first president all the way to now. As everyone knows, we still have presidents. And there's a reason for that politically. And that's not at all what we're here to talk about. But I'll simply say because of our culture we live in, I don't think we always understand what the idea of a kingdom is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for starters, like we're pointing out, when you live in a kingdom, there's a king, <laughs> That's and, kind of the key feature. Right. And in America's case, back in the 1700s, the king then wasn't so great. Uh, but kings are not all bad if they're all good is kind of the thing we want to point out here. Yeah. And, and so the idea of a kingdom, monarchy, whatever, it, there is one person who has, I mean, pretty much absolute authority. In the case of King Jesus, it is absolute authority. I mean, Matthew ends his gospel. I know we didn't read Matthew, but he says... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know, like, go spread the kingdom. And it's really important for us to get in our minds, like, this idea of the kingdom of God. And the book of Acts, I think, really helps us with that. 
Um, because some people think of the kingdom as like, well, it's just a future thing. Like we're not in the kingdom now, but like it's coming. Uh, and people have used that, like, oh, tell kingdom come or whatever. And something that's really helpful about the book of Acts is we can see, no, like the proclamation of the kingdom and living in the kingdom is something that happened then and happens now. Yeah. The kingdom is here. It is yeah. now. There's places in like Colossians where it'll talk about Paul will write and say, God has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son and Colossians one. And so that's just really helpful to remember that the kingdom was something, again, when you think of kingdom, you're like, okay, well, like, well, where are the borders? You know, what's, what's the, how do I get there? You know, it's like, well, this is a different kind of kingdom. In the book of John, Jesus would say, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have been fighting. And that's usually how a kingdom gets started, right? There's a revolution, there's a battle, people beat up on other people and say, now we're independent, we're we're our own thing. And with the kingdom of God, it's it's different. Uh, Jesus is coming into the world and he's, he's already the king. Right. But then he's crowned the king after his suffering and death. And then the book of Acts is this picture of his kingdom, his authority and his rule spreading throughout the world and the continuation of the kingdom the work that needs to be done uh, it's helpful and acts 1 verse 1 luke writes the first account i composed theophilus about all that jesus began to do and teach you'll notice that the tense there that jesus began to do it's not that jesus failed in his mission not not so at all through the gospel of mark we see jesus succeeded in his mission but he began a mission to establish his kingdom of god and we're going to see his apostles continue that mission of the kingdom of God. And we also get to continue that mission in the kingdom of God. Uh, when we see that point made throughout the book of Acts. Jesus began it and taught it, but his disciples will continue it. Right. And the book of Acts is actually going to end. I mean, this is kind of the bookends of the book. We talked about, you know, Acts 1-3 and there's 40 days. He's proclaiming the kingdom. And then Paul, when we leave Paul in house arrest at the end of the book of Acts... It says he lives there two years at his his own expense, welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He's telling them about the kingdom and he's telling them about the king. Yep. And so this is just the first main point we want to make is Jesus is king. Usually we say Jesus is Lord. But I think maybe even in our own heads, it's helpful sometimes to say it, Jesus is king. Because it's not just the idea of like, well, he's some master somewhere. It's like, no, like he's absolute. Like he is the highest one of authority. He has absolute authority. And again, it's hard, easier for us, I think, in our Western minds to have that idea when we say king. Because that carries with it that idea of absolute authority. And something that's really helpful about uh, Acts chapter 2 is this the first sermon that Peter's preaching. It's the day of Pentecost. These Jews have come from all over the place. And Peter ends his sermon by quoting from a psalm that was about the king that they were expecting. And they knew it. So he quotes from Psalm 110. And in verse 34, he talks about their king. And that this is not David. This is not your old king. This is a new king. Uh, so this is Acts 2, 34. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. If you go through and you, and you see that word Lord, like I think sometimes it's helpful to just kind of mentally substitute the word king. It's like, hey, by the way, that psalm that you guys grew up singing, that wasn't about David. Yeah, and it couldn't have been about David. It, it's it, David said, the Lord said to my king. Right. And now God has made this Jesus that you crucified. He is king and Christ. He's, he's the anointed one. He is the ruler of everything. And so there's a sense in which this scene in Acts chapter 2 is the public, I don't know if we could use the term like coronation, you know, the idea of like it's it's the um, the ceremony where, you know, it's the inauguration of King Jesus. Like this is what's happening. And of course, the initial reaction, this is bad news. We killed the king, you know, like, and now he's reigning from heaven. What are we going to do? Yeah. Exactly. And I, I think it's important to put it in those terms. I mean, that, that's what Peter's trying to do. I think for the longest time, I didn't understand Acts 2. But when you put it in this mindset of he's trying to convince these people that Jesus is king, the passages he uses and the arguments he makes, they start to make more sense for me at least. And so put yourselves in the shoes of these Jewish people. They've killed this man and you just found out he's a king. So you're living your life as you do. You're walking down the street. You decide to rob a guy. And you take his stuff, you end up killing him, and a little bit later on you find out that that was the king of your land. I mean, what do you do in that scenario? Like, they, they've come to tell you. <laughs> I don't know, I've never done that before. Well, yeah, so. <laughs> but like, just, just picture, like, they've come, they've caught you, they've found you, they've convinced you that that guy you killed was king. What do you do? Nothing. And that's the point. There's nothing you can do. It's like, you're, you're caught. Like, it, it's your fault. You did it. There's nothing you can do now. And that's the moment these people, that's the thing that these people are feeling in this moment, is all I'm trying to say. Completely helpless. We killed the king, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. We killed him. What in the world did we do about that? And what's amazing to me is like, so we've talked about king has absolute authority. We're going to see that the response of this king, because he could be like most kings. And it's like, okay, like once I hit the throne, like all my enemies, dead first thing that you do on day one of your kingship first thing king jesus does is forgive his enemies absolutely and so they say you need to repent x238 you need to be baptized every one of you in the name of your king in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins that you committed against that king i'm obviously i'm adding to x238 here and this is just amazing to think about this that the, the first act of king jesus is forgiving his enemies, and welcoming them into his kingdom and then putting them into, into service. And that when you see that point in the book of Acts that Jesus is the king, it kind of makes things make more sense when you read how Luke records for us in Acts 12 that Herod, when he was receiving praise for being God, the Lord strikes him because he doesn't give God the glory and he's eaten by worms and he dies. Only Jesus is the king. No one else. And you might live in this kingdom, this earthly kingdom is what I'm trying to say, but Jesus is your king. No one else is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so just kind of like glancing through the book of Acts, like, again, this idea of Jesus being king is not just in a couple of passages, but if you look at um, like Acts chapter 
8 and verse 12 when Philip is going around. Uh, Philip goes through Samaria and says, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And in Acts 14, when Paul's going out on the, the first journey that we talked about, uh, in Acts 14 and verse 22, uh, it says, He's strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me say, this may be a slightly different use of kingdom, because there's like a now sense of the kingdom, and there is a future sense of the kingdom, like in, in its fullness. But there's suffering in this kingdom. There's soldiers fighting and being killed in this kingdom, not because it's an earthly kingdom to like kill other people, but the idea of fighting in this kingdom is conversion. Yeah. And the world doesn't want to be converted, and there, there's opposition. We'll talk more about that hopefully in a future episode. Yeah. I also I really like Acts 19 when Paul, he's on his third preaching trip. He comes to Ephesus. He enters the synagogue in verse 8 and continued speaking out boldly for three months reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Well, why, why do you think they need to be persuaded? Because they don't realize that the kingdom of God is here. <laughs> they don't believe the king is here and that he has already come. He's and, reigning, but not everybody knows it yet. Right. And so they need to learn how to submit to this king. Um, and Paul, first has to convince them that Jesus is king before they're willing to enter into the kingdom. Yeah. Something I also really like, backing up to Acts 17, verse 7, um, when they're accusing uh, the disciples in Thessalonica, um, they they accuse them and they say, Jason's received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And of course, they're trying to get him on like, yeah. political uprising, which like that's not what Jesus' followers were ever about. They but, weren't leading. But it's the same accusation a, that was given to Jesus as to why he was killed. Because right. he was making himself out to be a king. Yeah, and Pilate asks him, right. you know, like, so you're a king, right? And that's when Jesus clarifies in John, like, you say I'm a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. Right. That's an important I, distinction. I'm a king, but not in a way that you think. <laughs> yes. You keep using that word. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, exactly. So this idea of the kingdom is something that it's helpful for us to kind of go back and kind of try to put ourselves in their shoes and think like, so you're living in like Thessalonica or wherever, and somebody comes to town and is saying hey, there's a new kingdom. And you're like, wait, what? Like, I didn't hear about a revolution. Like, what's going on? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, this is a different kind of revolution. This is a spiritual revolution. And King Jesus is reigning now. And you got to realize, like, he is already Lord of all. And we've all sinned against him. Like, we are all his enemies starting out. But even when we were his enemies, he sacrificed himself for us. It's like, what king does that? Like, what king, like... Only the best of kings, you know, sacrifice themselves for their people. And Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice right. for his people. And, of course, the point I, I was making earlier, too, you know, kings can be good if they're all good. <laughs> the, the idea of monarchy works when your king is everything a king should be. And that's what King Jesus is. He is everything you could possibly need. And you see that over and over again, especially, y'all, when you go back and read the Gospels. That is where you will see King Jesus more than what we are even talking about in the book of in the book of Acts. Um, so, if you haven't re read or listened through season one, we would encourage you to, because that is where you will really see Jesus as the King um, in his teaching, in his ministry, in the miracles he does, and the way he handles people. You will learn that he truly is a good King. 
Yeah. And that's an important thing to see. So we've talked about the king and we think about, okay, well, what's the other part of a kingdom? Uh, it's not really land in this sense because there's not like a geographical place. You could say, oh, here is the kingdom of God. Right. It's it's the citizens. Right. It is the rule of the king as it is lived out by those who submit to him. Yeah. The so, kingdom is not the citizens only, but like that's the other part of this. It's like it's, he's the king and the citizens who carry out his will in the world. That's that's the kingdom. And this is kind of interesting. You know, so this is the Lord's Prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. I just think those two phrases especially really go together well. Like the way the kingdom comes is when people submit to King Jesus and bow the knee and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and he's calling the shots in my life now. Okay, yeah. the kingdom has just gained some territory right. You know, right there. Conversion is that idea. And that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, and I'll just say too, that that's the, the question we're answering is that how do we become citizens of this kingdom? How do we, how do we accept it? How do we get in? Because what you're doing whenever you become a citizen somewhere is you're renouncing your citizenship elsewhere. And you're pledging your allegiance to that new citizenship. I mean, if anyone listening has become American citizens, you, you know what it's like to go through those classes, and you know what all it takes to become a citizen of, of America. It's not a perfect parallel, but it is a parallel. The same is true of becoming a kingdom of God. You've got to pledge your allegiance to the kingdom of God. You're renouncing your, your citizenship elsewhere and saying, this is where I'm a citizen, and this is what it's going to take in order for you to become a, a kingdom or a citizen of this kingdom. And so... After Peter convinces them that Jesus is king, and they ask, what shall we do? Peter says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And verse 41 is key. So then... Those who had received the word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Yeah. Well, what, what were they added to? Yeah, they're added to God's people. They're added right. to his kingdom. That right. They received the word, they submitted to King Jesus, and now the kingdom is spreading. Now, now it's growing. And it will say the same thing at the end of the chapter in verse 47, uh, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Mm-hmm. And that's really the idea, is like th- this world is, it'll, like First John will say, like this world is ruled by the evil one. Like there's the dominion of Satan and like his rule, his authority. Not that he is the ultimate king, of course, but like people submit to his will all the time. Uh, or they think it's their own will, but really they're captured by Satan. And what Jesus is doing is he's taken... He's taking prisoners back, you know. Every soldier in Christ's army is a deserter from Satan's army, and I've heard a good brother in Christ say that. Um, it's a, uh, it's powerful to think about what's happening in Acts two. Is like these first three thousand are claimed from the dominion of Satan and sin, and are brought into God's rule, God's kingdom, and then they're going to be going out. They're added by God uh, into this kingdom. 
And what's really cool, so like these were all Jews, right? Jews mm-hmm. and, and Jewish converts. Yeah, those 16 different nations listed in 2, uh, 9 through 11 was 16 nations, but they were all Jewish people that were coming to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. And what's going to happen as we go through the book of Acts, especially like chapter 10, the conversion of Cornelius, it, you're going to find out this kingdom is not a Jewish kingdom. It started out as a Jewish kingdom. Right. Um, because they were Jewish converts, but it spreads to all nations. And what's really cool is like once you see that in the book of Acts, like you can go back to the prophets and look at the Jewish scriptures and see, like, oh yeah, like it was there the whole time. Like God's always wanted a nation of nations. Right. A kingdom of kingdoms. People are coming from every human kingdom and coming out of all that and becoming part of his multi ethnic, multinational kingdom. That's of all nations. And what's really cool, um, so what we've talked about how to become a citizen of this kingdom, but now we're talking about who gets to become a citizen. The requirements of how to become a citizen doesn't change depending on which group you're from. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, guess what's required of you? You need to repent, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to be baptized. And we'll talk more in a later after show episode about conversions and acts. But the requirements are the same. Well, if the requirements are the same, you are now united in, as your as citizens, as a community in this kingdom of God. And that's going to be a big theme, by the way, if you're new to the Bible. Understand this theme throughout Scripture, where you have a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles who now are one in Jesus. There's going to be opposition there. There's going to be some growing pains there. And a lot of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul or some of the other apostles trying to help those two groups of people be at peace and see each other as one now. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that in the book of Acts. You've got these two groups of people who need to accept one another and work together. And there's a whole discussion about that in Acts chapter 15. Yes. And so this idea of a kingdom of kingdoms is just so powerful, especially in our world right now, where there's there's a lot of division, there's a lot of uh, unrest and things going on about, you know, where we're from and what we look like and... One of the core messages that we've talked about in the book of Acts is how this is not a good news of the kingdom for the rich or the, or just the poor or just the, uh, you know, just the Jew or the Gentile. It's for it's for everybody. And it breaks down ethnic, social, cultural, economic barriers like over and over again in the book of Acts. I mean, we talked about Philippi mm-hmm. where you had like Lydia, like this perhaps Jewish convert lady. And then like the jailer, you know, like probably Gentile, you know, right. I don't know what kind of guy he was, but like probably pretty different, you know, and you've got these people working together in Christ. And this was even true in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, of his 12 guys, they're all Jews, but he picked out one guy who was a tax collector, like working for Rome. And he picked out another guy who was a zealot, who's like down with Rome. <laughs> like that is like what zealots are known for. Like it's anti-Rome movement. And they're two of the 12 guys who are the Jesus' closest followers. And so it starts in the lifetime of Jesus, but especially in Acts, you just see it spreading across all different kinds of barriers. I love that like when, when the gospel hits Rome, we read later in like Philippians, Paul will write and say, hey, those of Caesar's household greet you. It's like, all right, the kingdom's into, into Caesar's household. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just so cool to think about this movement. And here we are 2,000 years later, talking about a kingdom that has outlasted Rome mm-hmm. and every other earthly empire. 
And because it's not a kingdom of this world. Right. That when we submit to Jesus, we become a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And that leads us to change our relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've already talked about Acts 2 a good bit, but it's just such a great place to go. Because you see the immediate change out of these people. Yep. I mean, it's not, oh, they're baptized, and then a couple months later, the changes start. No, like their entire lives change in that moment. And you see it not only in the way that they repent, but you see it in the way that they treat one another. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the point Stephen's getting at. You know, in verse 44 all of Acts 2, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. They are now a community. That's what they are now. They are now united in Christ from all these different nations, and they're taking care of one another. They now, because they are all citizens of the same kingdom, they now see the obligation to someone else as their neighbor in this new kingdom. Mm -hmm. When that brother or sister doesn't have something and I have surplus, I'm going to go help them. And even sometimes if if I have to hold back for myself and provide for my brother or sister, I'm willing to do that. Yeah, it changes four, everything. They're, they're selling stuff, you know, given, and that's where we meet Barnabas. Right. He's sacrificing, selling his, uh, his things that he has to, to give to others. And again, it's just a total change in mindset. It's like, I'm part of a kingdom where what I have is not my own. Um, it'll actually say that in chapter four, um, where does it say, uh, in verse, um, verse 32, uh, Chapter 432, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, Mm -hmm. but they had everything in common. Yep. And it's like, okay, we're part of a kingdom. And I'll just say this as kind of a side note. Like, there are kingdoms in the world that have tried to do that kind of thing, but force it. They're like, okay, the government's going to take all your stuff, and we're going to redistribute it. And if you just look back in history... That does not go well. <laughs> like it, it does. It, it sounds good at first, and then it does like it. It results in a lot of violence and terrible things. But in the kingdom of God, it's always voluntary, and it results in beautiful things, yep. because people are being generous. People are giving of their own free will to those who are in need, and it creates a real bond uh, with people. And actually it's really cool that that carries on later in Acts, like Paul's third trip. We didn't talk about this a whole lot. It's highlighted more in the letters than in Acts. But one of Paul's big purposes on his third trip is to get a collection from the Gentile Christians Mm -hmm. in Macedonia and other places and to bring it to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were just hurting so bad because of the famine and realizing like when people share what they have it creates a powerful bond between those people that like we we're not dependent on just ourselves like we're dependent on each other that we're not meant to do kingdom life alone uh we shouldn't isolate ourselves we shouldn't live in a vacuum we can't if we're disciples of jesus and his kingdom is one that brings people together um through sharing uh first and foremost in spiritual things in the gospel but also in sharing physical things and basically what we're saying is you don't see in the book of acts people becoming christians and then just holding to themselves staying in their home and just keeping their faith to themselves when they become a citizen they see the need to be connected to the other citizens in the kingdom 
And look, if, if you're someone who's listening and you want to become a Christian or you already are a Christian and you're just holding to yourself and not creating bonds with other Christians, the book of Acts would encourage you to do that. Build those bonds with other people. Reach out to us, reach out to others, and build that community of other believers in Jesus uh, because the beautiful things get done whenever believers in Jesus come together as the church, as a local church, and work in his kingdom. Yeah. One thing I love, and again, Acts 2, um, is that it's more than, it is a going to church thing, Mm -hmm. but it's even more than a going to church thing. Like we know that the early disciples celebrated their King Jesus, their risen King Jesus, by assembling on the first day of the week, on Sunday, the day he rose from the dead, and by remembering him in the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper or communion. We saw that again in Acts 20 when Paul goes to Troas. That's right. Yeah. But notice there's there's more than that. Uh, in Acts 2, verse 42, there's four things they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles are like the ambassadors of King Jesus. So like we're listening to Jesus' teaching, our king, through his apostles. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, which is like that sharing together we talked about, um, to the breaking of bread, which is probably, I think here, the Lord's Supper, like the weekly observance sure. of like, hey, we're remembering our risen Lord, his death, his resurrection, and the prayers, that they're constantly going to God in prayer. And so they are devoted to what we would say, like going to church. Like they're getting together, they're worshiping their king, they're remembering his death, they're doing the Lord's Supper. But also look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. As this was a movement that absolutely centered on the worship on the first day, but it was not just like a Sunday kingdom thing. It's like, this affects your whole life. And like every day they're getting together. They're in each other's homes. They're eating meals together. And they are having a a kingdom life together that's such an important thing. And you see that throughout the book of Acts is these people from all different backgrounds who maybe didn't want to go to each other's houses. Even in like Acts 10, like Peter notes when he goes into Cornelius' house, like, you know, like, like, it's kind of wrong for me to be here. You know, like, that's been the way I've been thinking. But now God showed me, I don't call anybody common or unclean. Mm-hmm. Like, we are one because we're part of the same kingdom. If you bow the knee to King Jesus, you're my brother. You're my yeah. sister. We're in this together. Yeah. Well, and the other thing we see here, I think, along this line of the kingdom is these Jews and these people who are now in the kingdom of God, they don't just keep the kingdom to themselves. Um, Acts 2 certainly paints this beautiful picture of them keeping the kingdom, you know, just with one another. But when we get into Acts 3, Peter and John go out to the temple to pray, and Peter ends up preaching to the people there. Um, They end up getting arrested for it. But from Acts 3 and on, you see the kingdom starting to grow through the efforts of the citizens going out and wanting to tell other people about the kingdom of God. Yeah, this isn't like a, just a leadership-focused thing where it's like, yeah, we got these 12 guys, and like they're going to tell everybody about Jesus, but like once we hear the news about the new king, we're kind of cool to like lay low. No. Like, the 12 are like, they start it, but it's like a fire. Like, once something else catches on fire, like it's going to catch something else on fire, and good fire sense here. Like, it's just going to spread because everybody can't keep this message to themselves. Right. Even when they're trying to stomp out the movement. I mean, one of the great examples of that is in Acts chapter 8, when Stephen is stoned to death. And uh, there's great persecution that arises in Jerusalem on that day. Which is where all these people are. Yep. And then in verse, uh, you know, Saul is 
entering house after house, dragging off men and women to prison. So people run for their life. Like they leave Jerusalem, they spread out. But in verse, Acts 8 verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It wasn't like, oh, well, we're out here, but like the apostles will do that. It's like, no, like it's not just 12 guys in Jerusalem spreading this thing. It's every disciple, every servant of King Jesus is going out and making disciples. Even though they're being persecuted, they might be on the run for their life, but they're like, you still need to know about King Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, this is still the truth. This is still powerful. And you just see these people having this mindset that this is how the kingdom spreads. Because you think about it, like Jesus, in his lifetime, he didn't actually cover that much ground, like geographically. Mm-hmm. So like, like a hundred miles. Yeah, from north to south, it was only it was only a hundred miles, which I mean, that's not much distance at all when you think about the mass of the United States. I right. mean, we could travel a hundred miles in our state and still stay within our state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like Jesus didn't cover that much physical ground, but as the gospel goes out through these Christians, even through persecution. It goes all over the known world. Yeah. And it's so cool to kind of trace it, too, because I don't know at what point Ananias, uh, the Ananias that helped Saul in his conversion in Acts 9, I don't know at what point he obeyed the gospel, but it's so cool to think about you know, Jesus doing what he did in his ministry, the day of Pentecost, Ananias somehow obeying the gospel, becoming a servant of the Lord, being sent to Saul, Saul becoming a servant of the Lord, and then Saul going out and doing everything that he does. It's just so cool. And you can do that with several of the different individuals in the book of Acts. It's kind of traced back maybe when they were converted or or whatever have you, and just see the amount of work that just one person, one person is able to do, or how I should say it is, how much work the Lord can do through just one person. Yeah, is It's amazing. Um, and so we shouldn't be shocked that 2,000 years later we're still talking about this. If in a matter of 40 years <laughs> it was able to go from this little town of Jerusalem, or a big town of Jerusalem, all the way to Rome in Greece, like don't be shocked by that. Or in Italy, you know, don't be shocked by that. That's amazing. Yeah. And again, it's the Lord working right, right. through all of this. It's King Jesus, what he's continuing to do and teach through his disciples, through his subjects, his loyal subjects. And so I just think, you know, when we have this mindset of the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign, his authority, it becomes about so much more than just, okay, like I go to church, I got to like stop doing some stuff. Uh, but it's about, I've got a mission. Like I'm part of something. It's a movement. It's bigger than me. And it's true. Like God's kingdom is not something you can point here, point there and say, like, here it is. But when you see what God's subjects are doing, when people really submit to King Jesus it's something that's changing the world. Uh, I love what they say again in, uh, in Acts 17. You know, These men who've turned the world upside down mm-hmm. have come here also because these people had a fire in them, a mission mindset where they are just stopping at nothing to bring more people into the authority of King Jesus. Um, as, they, as his will is done in, on earth like it is in heaven, uh, the kingdom is spreading and growing and when we have that mindset, it changes us too. Um, and I think that's really helpful, especially in these times that we're living in, um, just to kind of refresh our minds about the kingdom. And the book of Acts is just a great place to do that. Yeah. So um, 
we'll give our contact info in just a second, but I just want to say to anyone listening, if you want to know more about how to become a citizen of this kingdom, or maybe you know what you need to do and you want help with that, we want you to reach out to us. That's the purpose of this podcast is getting people to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Mm -hmm. And so if anything you've heard today convicts you to make a change in your life and you need help with that in some way, we want you to reach out to us. Um, But we'll be going through a few more themes as we uh, wrap up our season on the book of Acts. Um, We'll talk about conversions in Acts. We'll talk about opposition and persecution in Acts. Um, So just keep an eye out for that podcast, Lord willing, next week. Yeah. If you're enjoying uh, what you're hearing on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Um, Please subscribe, rate, review, reach out to us, uh, 717-585-0949. Text or call. Uh, You can email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or check out more information at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.